Amen. I'm thankful <clears throat> that the Lord is so uh, faithful in so many ways. We can see all the faithfulness and, um, around us in so many things. But I'm also thankful for this faithfulness, that when you seek Him, you find Him. When you knock, the door is open. Ask, and you will receive. Those things aren't about our material things. I just believe they're about us finding the Lord. Um, I love that song. In fact, I'd been going to sing it this morning. Um, one thing I asked, I was going to, I already had that on my heart and Jake texted me on, on Friday. He said, what do you think about singing one thing I ask? Um, but I, I love that song because if we get a blessing, it will fade. If we are healed, we will get sick again. If we're healed, you know, we're believing God's going to raise Jake up, but at some point we're all going to die. We're not getting beyond this and say, well, the rapture comes. Well, you're not leaving this earth with this body, however you want to see it. <laughs> there is an end to this thing. And, but the one thing that remains, just one thing, and that's the Lord. The one constant and the one thing that we want. Because if I'm going to have something that doesn't change and something that doesn't fade, I want to get a hold of that because everything else does. And so... I'm thankful that God is faithful to us to speak to our hearts and to reveal himself in the word. Amen? I'm thankful for the messages that we get so frequently around here that encourage us to pursue Christ. And um, tonight, I want you to, I want you to uh, allow the Lord to continue. Dad said something a few months ago, uh, maybe a month ago, um, just about how that we're we're trying to see what the church, what Jesus left the church to look like. And I don't think that we're doing bad things. I just think that sometimes we get lost in the weeds of everything that kind of religion has become. And uh, tonight, I want you to consider the eunuch. I don't... get a water bottle. That was going to be a really dry message. So I want to, um, I want you to just be thinking about <clears throat> how the New Testament church was functioning um, in this. And I, and I just, I want to encourage us with something here tonight that, I, that the Lord really has uh, challenged me and encouraged my heart. I think that's where we have to preach from. We have to preach from the things that God is doing in us and so I want to start in the 26th verse, and we're going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter because we have to get a, gra a grasp on what's uh, happening here. So the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert or deserted. <clears throat> and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had a charge of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias, or Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. 
And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? I think this is a sticking point. I want you to think about this. And I'm going to cover it later. But how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and Philip, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, preached into all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Lord, I ask you that you would help me, God, to deliver what I believe that you want us to hear tonight. God, help us to consider the eunuch and what's happening here, Lord, that we may be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus, we ask these things in your name, and everybody say amen. amen. This chapter starts, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, starts with the attack upon the church by Saul. There was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Stephen has been buried, and Saul is hauling men and women and putting them into prison. So much persecution is happening that it is causing the Christians to leave Jerusalem and to move out into Judea and Samaria. This is, if you think back to the commission the Lord gave, that they would go and make disciples first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. I've heard a few rumblings, and you all probably have too, when we moved from California, that we were running from the fight. Anybody heard that rumbling? Some of your family actually said that to you, I know. Well, you know well, we won't cover that, but um, I just want to note that sometimes God allows for circumstances to move people in order for his kingdom to be expanded. I don't see the situation that was happening in Jerusalem as a good thing. The pressure would not be something that they would want. They would not have wanted the persecution. They would not have wanted what Paul was doing. He was so severe. Well, Saul at that point, he was, it was so severe that they were literally in fear of their lives. And it forced them to move. But the intention all along was that God was going to spread and advance his kingdom. He was going to expand his kingdom. And he was using the persecution of Saul 
to do it. And I just want you to know that 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 is not uncommon with God. I think God allows circumstances to happen in order to get us to places that he wants us to be. Everybody should say amen. You all moved, so you better say amen or you think you did something wrong. The pressure had been applied heavily. I want to read two verses at the beginning of this chapter. The first verse, and Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I want you to remember that, just, just for the sake of knowing what's happening here. Verse 4, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. We have two notations concerning the message of Philip. And now I hear a lot of people who want to hear, you know, you think, which, which preacher of the, of the scripture would you want to hear? Obviously, Jesus would be number one if you had a chance to sit and listen to him speak. But I hear these, you know, well, I would have loved to hear. So I would have loved to hear Philip preach. The two records that we have is that he expounded to the Samaritans in the city of Samaria, he preached Christ. That's the simple uh, summation of his message. He preached Christ. And then to the eunuch, it says, and he preached Jesus to him. And I just love that. I think I would have loved to hear him preach. But this Philip seems to be pretty clear to be the deacon that was appointed to serve the Gentile widows and orphans and not the Philip which was one of the disciples and the apostles. Because the beginning of the chapter says that the, that the Christians were all leaving Jerusalem except who? The apostles. It would have said except for the apostle Philip who did go down to Samaria. No, I think the apostles had stayed put. The church was being, uh, as you do when you stomp on fire and it just spreads. Um, this is the Philip that is named with Stephen. We only have a few names in Acts 6, and Stephen and Philip come to the top. Stephen has preached one of the most powerful messages ever to be spoken on this planet, and he's stoned for it. And the next event that we have is what Philip now does. And I think it's important to understand even who this is that is doing this because it it adds to why he would have the, the desire and the ability to hear God's voice to speak to the eunuch. This man is a man who has been appointed to serve Gentile widows and orphans. Not the Jewish widows and orphans, but the Greeks, the heathens. And yes, there is some acceptance that these people might be able to kind of come and be a part, but we can see through the book of Acts, we haven't even got to Peter yet in Acts 10 and Cornelius. We haven't got to Paul yet in Acts 15 that we talked about a few weeks ago with Barnabas and with Mark and with the, with the interactions concerning circumcision and concerning all, all of the... Um, I don't like the, to use the term, but there really isn't a great term. The racism, the idea that God was really only dealing with... We haven't even got there yet. 
All we've got is that there are widows and orphans who are trying to come into the kingdom and somebody's got to help them. So they appoint Stephen and Philip. And those men, because of their willingness to do what God had laid in front of them, God anoints both of them to a great work. To do a great work. Um, So I I believe it's important. uh, What is clear from Acts 6 is that Stephen and Philip were both faithful to the cause they were appointed to. This thought always jumps out in my mind when I think about that. Being disgruntled about your location or your situation will not result in spiritual success. Ever. In fact, we find that in the Old Testament that it says that they grieved God. The children of Israel grieved God because of their complaining, because of their griping, because of their questioning, that it grieved God, that it literally provoked him to anger. He killed tens of thousands of them at different times because of their stiff necked, because they would not hear the voice of God, because they were disgruntled about the situation that they were in. What we do not see from Philip and Stephen is a disgruntled nature. What we do see is a willingness to say, I will serve the Lord wherever he places me. And I believe that's important if we're talking about the early church. Everybody wants to jump back in the Old Testament and talk about different events and things that happened there. And that's good. We got to bring it to the New Testament, but that's all fine. But if we're going to look at the church, we've got to look at the New Testament and what is happening? What is, what is a, the product of a healthy church? How does a church grow? How does it become the body of Christ that he wants it to be and advance the kingdom? It happens when we begin to look at the things that God wants to be paramount above the things that we want. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and stop worrying about everything else. That's really the thrust of the early church. Doesn't mean we don't need to eat. Doesn't mean we don't need jobs. We all do. But what it means is number one is the kingdom of God. That's what it means. Amen? But Philip, appointed to get food for widows and orphans, was forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution. He goes to the city of Samaria and takes the opportunity to preach Christ. The result of this faithfulness is that people give heed to the gospel. You can read in the 8th chapter and it will say that the demon-possessed are being delivered, the sick are being made whole, the crippled are walking, and that there was great joy in the city of Samaria as a result of one man who was not even appointed to be a preacher. He wasn't called to be an apostle. He was just faithful in what God had asked of him to do. They didn't appoint him and send him to Samaria. He just ended up in Samaria as a result of persecution. But because he was faithful in what God had asked him to do, then he was anointed to do what God wanted him to continue to do. I just fully believe the words of the Lord which says if you are faithful in the few or in the little or in the small, then I will make you leader. I don't want to be a ruler of anything, but I want to lead in some things that are more important. Not that I'm going to be important. Philip is not important. 
He's disposable. He's dispensable, just like every one of us is. But his faithfulness to the cause. Now listen, I am not, none of us, I don't think, I think pastor fully agrees with this. I, I don't think that we are commissioned to quit our jobs and to move into a commune and to you know, live as they've done in many different cults and, and, and you know, isolate ourselves from the world in order to be faithful in the kingdom. But what I do believe is that there are little things that God intends for us to be faithful in and that he uses those things in a mighty way to reach people for his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. And there's no way around it. So the gospel is being preached by Philip. It has found such success that the city is in what people today would term revival. There, there is an outbreak of the advancement of the kingdom. I want to look at verse 26 again. I just want to pick out a few things here. And the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is deserted. And he arose and went. What kind of a man of God is this? Let's talk about the early church. Let's talk about the church that, the kingdom that God's trying to build. Because when we say church, we, we naturally think of this, you know, our church, uh, Echoes of Calvary Church or the, whatever church around here. But when we think of the kingdom, let's, let's expand it a little bit. What is God concerned? What kind of a man of God is this? That in the midst of an outbreak of conversions that are happening, people are being led to know who Jesus is, and so much so that there's miracles, signs, and wonders are happening. The gospel is being preached, and there is a joy that is overtaking the city. Nothing like we have ever seen. The false revival that was supposedly happening in Reading did not have these components. This is nothing like we've seen. The, the, the scripture literally describes it as joy had overtaken the city. First off, we can recognize why did Philip go to Samaria? Well, he had no objection to Gentiles coming into the kingdom because he was serving Gentile widows and orphans. It starts in the little things. It starts in that willingness to step and to minister in an area that didn't even seem important, but was going to be neglected based upon the preconceived ideas that the apostles had. And they, God was working through them. I'm thankful that the Lord included this in the book of Acts, because what it tells me is, yes, these were amazing godly men, but they were men. They were not perfect. They didn't have everything figured out. We know that Peter had to be corrected. We know Paul is killing people in the name of God. We, we can see these prejudices of, of Mark and of Barnabas and, and the fighting and the bickering. And what we discover is that they were men. They were not uh, saints. They were not angels. They were men. They were men who were faithful. They were men who were upright. But they were men that still had things that God was trying to work out in them. And I'm telling you that tonight because I can tell you that every one of us here still has things that God's trying to work out in us. 
But the difference between them and most of us is they were faithful in what God had called them to. They weren't grumbling and complaining. They weren't accusing and and mocking. They were misunderstanding, but they were faithful to the cause of Christ. And that's the difference between them and many of us. But what kind of man is this? That in the middle of a quote-unquote revival, that he would get up and leave. Everybody has a TV or YouTube channel or a, a TV show if they're really big. And everybody is trying to get the crowds to come. But God wasn't concerned about this. We will see a couple of things happen. There's such a a revival that happens that Peter and John come. But Peter and John leave and so does Philip. Who's in charge? Now, there needs to be local pastors and, and all of that, I'm sure, was worked out. It's not a detail that was important. But my point is, it was never about drawing a crowd. Everybody clamoring and trying to get people to come in. If today's preacher happened to see God move in some sort of way, they would have set up shop. They would have put down roots. This is what happened in the supposed revival at Brownsville. How many remember Brownsville? Most of the young people have been too young. People are flying from all over the world to come into Brownsville. And there was a, uh, Brownsville came after Toronto. Toronto birthed a mess spiritually in this country. This charismatic movement that we see today was birthed out of there. Just a short wave after Toronto comes Brownsville. And what happens at Brownsville is that Stephen Hill, the evangelist, set up shop. Because it was about him. It was about the face. If it's revival, God doesn't need Philip to draw people to the Lord. It's not about Philip. It's about Christ. If it's about Christ, there's no person that's going to make that happen. Stephen Hill sets up, sets up shop and, and stayed there and hyped the crowd and needed to keep the energy going. So he started lying about his life so his testimony would be greater to further hype the crowd. Stephen Hill? If you think of Brownsville, you think of Stephen Hill. When you think of Lakeland, you think of Todd Bentley. Because Todd Bentley was the evangelist and he was leading the revival. He hyped the crowd, he drew the masses. And well-known pastors from all over this country, including Bill Johnson, and several very prominent uh, charismatic leaders flew in to Lakeland and gave him a ring to put on his finger, signifying him to be an apostle and God's anointed man for the time and who God was going to use. A public ceremony in front of the whole crowd, all the while knowing that he was a child molester, all the while knowing that he's going out to the bars after the meetings. They know that this is happening and behind the scenes they're saying, hey, you better stop this because if they, people catch wind of it, man, it's going to fall apart. 
publicly. Why? Why is there, why wouldn't somebody come in and say, man, God's moving. You need to get out of here. Repent and get right. No, no, because it's the face. Because that's today's preacher. That's today's church. It's about the personality. It's about the charisma. It's not about the Christ. And I know even currently, that went on for months and months before it fell apart. And all the nutty stuff, you all probably saw some of that because that was a little bit more recent. All the nutty stuff that was happening there. And I know of a supposed apostolic revival in Little Rock right now that has been going on, I, I would have to count, but like four to five months. And the evangelist who my dad and Carrie and I actually heard him preach, and I don't rate preachers too often, but I will tell you this, he couldn't have preached his way out of a wet paper sack when I heard him. It was awful. I thought he was like the first time he ever spoke. Is leading this thing and has set up. I, I don't know if you've ever, but why is that? Why is it that if God begins to move, that the evangelist sets up shop? Why? Is God tied to us? Is my message so important that God needs me at Echoes of Calvary? Because I just don't think that's what the early church, I don't think that's what the kingdom was ever supposed to be about. Now, I'm not saying that that we do not have part. And I am thankful for our ministry, all of you men and women that share and teach and our pastor. I I so appreciate that. And I'm not suggesting that um, we should not honor. I'm not suggesting that those are common. What we have here is uncommon, as you very well know. The love, the koinonia, and the leadership that we have is uncommon. However, there's not any of us that the Lord needs in his kingdom. And so Philip is unique. Philip's not about his name. He's not concerned about the revival continuing. He is concerned about the work of the Spirit of God. Philip, the deacon, the food service guy, the Gentile table waiter, understood something 2,000 years ago that men today with all of our education and all of our training and our Bible schooling and our seminaries don't understand. And that is that the work of the Spirit of God does not need your face. No man comes to God but by the drawing of Rodney's face. By the personality by the anointing of the evangelist. None of those things are in that scripture. No man comes to God but by the drawing of the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you where the Spirit of God is ample and flowing and pouring out. It's in men who do not desire for their face to be seen. It's in men who are willing to say, Lord, if you want me to go, I will go. So the Spirit of the Lord, in the middle of all of this, Peter and John have left. They've gone back to Jerusalem. And the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip, I want you to get up and I want you to start walking. And it's not some short journey. I don't know how many miles, but but tens of miles at least. I want you to walk down because there's a man I want you to meet. You go from revival to ministering to a single man. And the excuse that is made so many times in all of this is that, well, yeah, but this man went on to lead huge revival. And that's why that God would call Philip away from the Samaritan revival because he wanted to spark revival in Ethiopia. No, I don't believe that. 
I don't believe that at all. I think what is true is that God will send somebody to the hungry. If it's one man, we hear this all the time, God would do whatever, he'll do anything just to get that one man, boy, but not one man in general, but one man who's hungry. Yes, that is true. To a hungry soul, God's always willing to fill it. So Philip did what few preachers throughout history would ever do. He listened to God. He left Samaria, the revival, the crowd, to go and preach to just one man. I can, I can align this, and I hope you're thinking. I don't want to cover it all, but I want you to think about what God did with us by moving us. Is it so that we would have city-wide revival? What if it's just for one man? What if it's just for one family? What if it's just your family? What if, it, what if it's just a, a few of our children so that they would, they would have the, the knowledge that they need to, to follow Christ? My point being, it's not really about us, but I'm thankful that God hears the cries of the one. So let's get to the, to the crux of it. All of this sets up the eunuch. He finds a eunuch sitting in a chariot alongside a road trying to understand what he is reading in Isaiah 53. The eunuch presents an interesting situation and something that God has really been challenging my heart in and that's why I'm sharing this with you. The Jews... Our, uh, Chris was sharing a few weeks ago about Christian nationalism in, in Wednesday night. The Jews definitely believe in Jewish nationalism. It's bred into them. This is where these, pre, these prejudices come. I said racism, it's, that's the word. Prejudices. That they, they believe that they are better. They believe that they are chosen. It's bred into them. And Jewish nationalism of which the apostles were initially guilty of, provided this. Here's what Jewish nationalism says. God may be the God of all people, providing they become Jews through the appropriate rituals. That's what Jewish nationalism said. That's what it provided for. If there's going to be a proselyte, there's even stuff within the old, old covenant there to, to um, make that function and make it work. But here's, here's the things that must happen. There's some appropriate things. You must become a part of the Jewish nation as well as the Jewish religion. Your number one allegiance would be to Jerusalem. Israel would be your primary cause. And you would have to denounce everything else. That's how I think it should be if you want to be an American, frankly. I think you should have to denounce your alliance and allegiance to Mexico and to Africa and to wherever else you're coming from. You want to be American? Be American. I kind of get that rule. Makes sense. But this is where they believed if you're going to be a Jew, it's not just a Jewish religion. This is, this is different than Christianity. Christianity is religion. It is spiritual. Judaism is both spiritual and national. It is physical. You become a part of the nation. Second, this had to happen through the offering of sacrifices. Third, this had to happen through the uh, ritual of circumcision. And fourth, you had to be 
you had to go through Jewish baptism in order to be a Jew. Now, the scripture doesn't really talk to us a lot about baptism, especially in the Old Testament. We don't really find it. It was, a, it was like so many things that they added in to talk to us, uh, to, to make it, hey, this is how you know that you're a Jew. You've been baptized under this rabbi, but the Lord doesn't tell them really to do this, but they've set it up this way. So this eunuch now has been up to Jerusalem to worship. But most certainly, in my mind, now this is my opinion, and you could take it or leave it, but I hope you take it. Um, most certainly, he has been rejected. He was an Ethiopian. He was very high up in Candace's uh, 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 group of officials in charge of the, he was the, the military um, might, war chest guy. The treasurer. He was in charge of all of the treasure of the land of Ethiopia, very high up. He couldn't pledge allegiance to Jerusalem because he had already pledged allegiance to Candace and to Ethiopia. That's difficult. He was a eunuch. Deuteronomy 23 and 1 says that no one who mutilates their private parts or cuts off their privy member is able to be a part of the congregation of the Lord. He was certainly forbidden. He was not allowed to go into the temple because of his physical condition. But he also was disbarred from Jewish fellowship because of his physical condition. This must have been exactly the type of mindset that Jesus was thinking of when he says in Matthew 23, 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. This was already in practice when Jesus comes along. And now after his death, after his resurrection, in this, in this early church, this Ethiopian eunuch travels to Jerusalem with the intention of worshiping God, but he is clearly, in my mind, rejected and forbidden from fellowship and from entering the temple. And this poor man with every desire to be a part of the kingdom, has been prevented by all of those who might tell him concerning the kingdom. Verse 30, And Philip ran thither unto him, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said unto him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said unto him, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. Can you see it? He's been to Jerusalem. This man has some money because he managed to acquire a scroll, which was not easily acquired back in that day. You can go down to the Bible bookstore and get one of these guys for, you know, 19 bucks. If you want the really nice leather one, you could spend a hundred dollars. 
No, a scroll in that day was not easy to acquire. This man has some money, and I can see him with the scroll going to the Jewish leaders and saying to them, who is this that this speaks of? Who is it? I I, want to know this one. And he's rejected. He's prevented. Not only is he prevented and forbidden because he's a eunuch, but he is abandoned. I would guess that he tried and tried to get this question answered, but no one will even talk to him about who it is speaking of in Isaiah 53. Do you know that to this day, I said this several months ago, and I did not know this until several months ago. I think we were still in California when I said this, but to this day, the Jews will not read Isaiah 53 because they hate the idea of the suffering servant. They hate the idea of a God who would become man and be touched with the filling of our infirmities. They have no relationship. They want no relationship with God. They do not believe in personal relationship with God. And so I can see him sitting there and he's reading this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearer is dumb. He opens not his mouth. He is taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Peter has still not been corrected on his prejudice concerning the Gentiles and the gospel. Paul has yet to be converted and has not certainly confronted the other apostles concerning their demands for adhering to the Jewish law of circumcision. It seems to me that Philip is just about the only one left that is qualified to talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. It's amazing to me. It blows my mind that God had set all of this up and found a man who believes so passionately in the gospel of Jesus. That's all he declared that God would send him. He said, hey, you're the guy. I know you started out just working with a bunch of Gentile women. I know that. That's all you started. I know. That's fine. Now you go to Samaria, a bunch of Gentiles hated by the Jews rejected. Nobody wants to talk to him, a bunch of dogs. And, then, and, you, and what do you do there? All you do is just preach Christ. That's all he's doing, just preaching Christ. And he says, you know what? I gotta have somebody. I gotta have somebody who will go down and will preach to a eunuch. Everybody else, including the converted Christians, cannot see how that this guy can be a part of the kingdom. But Philip is qualified. So Philip begins to discourse with him. He starts in Isaiah 53. And he preaches to him from there. It says he starts there and reveals to him throughout the scripture. Jesus. I love this so much because it doesn't say he explained to him the scripture but that he revealed to him Jesus. He talks to him about how that Jesus was despised and rejected. He was esteemed, stricken, smitten of God. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He bore our shame. And he offers healing. Something moves on the eunuch as Philip begins this discourse to explain I, I just can feel his heart. I don't know why it hit me so strong the last couple of weeks. I can feel his heart as he looks at himself and I am certain that he has suffered intense rejection just leaving Jerusalem. And the feeling of abandonment, the feeling like I, I can't, there's nothing I can do about what is going on or what has happened to my body. It doesn't say how he became a eunuch, and I'm not going to go into all of that because of little ears. But we don't know exactly how. We just know that the result prevents him. And as this shame is upon him, this lack of manhood is upon him, every reason why he can't be a part of the kingdom, and yet Philip is explaining to him that it is the Lord who comes down and he takes that shame and that guilt and that sin upon himself. And he reveals to him where everybody else can tell him why he can't be apart. Philip tells him why he can. Something moves on the eunuch's heart as they're in the chariot. And I, I perceive that they're moving because there's a certain body of water. Now, maybe they were just sitting there and, and he recognized it. But these words now stand out to me. Scholars will tell you that it is because Philip had explained to him the importance of baptism that the eunuch brought it up. But the scripture, I would say, bears the exact opposite to be true. Baptism was what the Jews did so that you could say, I'm a Jew. God didn't talk about baptism. It wasn't enforced. It wasn't strictly adhered to. We know that Jesus did not make a, a ministry of going around baptizing people he, he says that clearly himself. I don't believe Philip brought this up at all. What I believe happened is that this man has just been to Jerusalem to worship. And he has just been to Jerusalem to see if he could become a Jew. He's just been there to get baptized. But he can't be part of the club. He doesn't fit the mold. Everything about him tells him why he cannot be a part of the Jewish kingdom. But now he sees the water and he says, What prevents me from being baptized? It's not a mandate from Philip that he had to be baptized. Philip does not discuss this. He discusses Jesus. Jesus is not worried about baptism. I'm sorry to deflate people's balloons. 
Yes, we baptize and we baptize in Jesus' name when we do it. And it is a proclamation about who we are and we just want to make that, that symbol of us dying and being risen again in new life and all of that. But water does not wash away my sins and Jesus is not concerned about baptism. Jesus is concerned about the faith being placed totally and completely in him. And now as Philip has exhorted him concerning who this one was, who the one was promised about, and the, and the talking about this one having been crucified now and resurrected, and that salvation has been brought, and guess what just happened in Samaria? There's a lot of people just like you who are Gentiles that are now a part of the kingdom because they have believed into Christ. And this eunuch now says, is there any reason, Philip? Is there any reason why I can't be a part of this? This is what stirs my heart. Is there any reason? Is there anything disqualifying me? The Jews got a whole list of why I can't come in. But is there anything disqualifying me from coming to Christ? Philip says, oh no. You can. He didn't say you must. You notice that? That's why we can pretty clearly see that baptism is not essential because he doesn't say you must. He says, oh sure. You can be baptized. <laughs> Let's, absolutely. You're, you're going to be a part of this kingdom exactly the same as I am. And believe something is happening inside of him. All of the things that have been placed in his path and everything that, is, that has inhibited this hungry man from finding God, Philip has now removed. I was talking to Jake about this yesterday. I was sharing with him. I said, well, I don't know if you'll, you may not fill up to watch it tomorrow night. We don't put hurdles in the door. I think we can get some, a lot of hurdles, a lot of obstacles that stand in the way. A lot of ideas that if you don't do it this way, you can't be a part. If you don't look this way, you can't be a part. If you're not a part of this movement, and I begin to think about all of these things that stand in the way and have stood in the way. I think about the different churches and I don't think we're the only church and I don't think that certainly we're not the only church with people who love the Lord here in, the, in this city. But I begin to think about all of these denominations and truly all of the mantra and the creeds and everything that comes with that. They don't open the doors. Listen, we're not here to make the way wider. The way... And there's only one way, it's Jesus. But we're also not here to make the way narrower. The opening is the Lord standing there with his arms this way, not this way. And how many times did children try to come to Jesus and his response was always, Suffer the little ones to come to me. 
I don't think it's because he just was a real children person. I think it's, a, it's this principle of don't stand in the way of people coming to me. Don't get used to standing in between me and the people. Our job, if we want to be the church of God in Claremore, if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God in Claremore, it's not to establish rituals. It's not to further establish doctrines and to, and to establish exclusivity. But it is to get out of the way and point people to the way. It's to get them to see that Jesus is the way. Now listen, I'm not talking about that we just, whatever, you know, we just all live these filthy, vile, that's not at all what I'm saying. Because once we get in the way, we've got to walk in the way. But we're, our job is to get people to see Jesus. Don't make it harder. Now, I know we're not really accustomed to doing that. But we are surrounded by this. And I see it. It's crazy. I know I think dad probably does too. I see it more here than I ever saw it in California. All of the ritual and legalism. The orders of man that have prevented people from knowing Jesus. All of the messages Wasted on self-help and denominational agenda that have prevented people from understanding Jesus. The apostolics, the missionary Baptist, the holiness Pentecostals, the holiness Baptist, they seek to achieve exclusivity by their rules. As though our rules need to accompany the way. And I just want to reinforce in our hearts the way is to reveal who he is. That's it. I'm so thankful that for so many years we have labored and pastor has preached. I mean, so consistently about who the Lord is about knowing the Lord, about finding the Lord, about pursuing the Lord, and not focused on all of the the little things. Yes, we live very circumspectly. All of us walk very upright lives with whatever standards you want to hold that to. But that's not the focus. The focus is knowing the Lord. God gives us clarity. God gives us boldness to proclaim who Jesus is to all those who have come to worship, but have been prevented. I, I just, I just want to work and operate in the kingdom like Philip was operating in the kingdom. I want to make the way visible. I want to point the way to the door. I don't want to stand in front of it. The qualification for faith is this. Surrender to Christ, not adherence to a creed. Creeds are the work of man. Surrender is the work of our hearts, and that's what the Lord wants from our lives. That's all he wants from our lives. He's not interested in all of the other rigmarole that we bring into this. So I encourage you this week, as pastor's going to come, I encourage you this week, 
as you begin to go through your daily life, be faithful where God has called you and consider the eunuch. Pastor, would you come? Amen.